Have you ever heard of benzodiazepines? No? What about non-benzodiazepines? Theanodiazepines? Hmm. Uh, okay, okay, I think I see where my mistake is. L- let me start again, okay? <clears throat> Have you ever heard of Valium? How about Xanax? Ambien, Ativan, Clonopin, Lunesta? Yes? I thought so. Now we're on the right track here. These all are considered benzos, a group of drugs in the benzodiazepine, non-benzodiazepine, and theanodiazepine classes. A group of drugs, also known as anti-anxiety drugs, sleeping pills, minor tranquilizers, or even sedatives. Benzos are some of the most popular medications ever created, and they've been around for a long, long time. In 1979, U.S. Senator Ted Kennedy led a Senate subcommittee hearing into the dangers of benzodiazepines, stating, quote, These drugs have produced a nightmare of dependence and addiction, end quote. Almost 40 years later, the same class of drugs are 20 times more potent and taken by millions of people around the world every day. And they are continually prescribed long-term despite decades of warnings. Why the big concern? Withdrawal from benzos can be a beast. For some, it is a tortuous, painful, agonizing, and life-altering experience that can last months, even years. In fact, if not managed properly, benzo withdrawal can even be fatal. But if you are one of the people who finds yourself dependent on these drugs, there is hope. The burden of benzo withdrawal is manageable and can be significantly eased with proper support, knowledge, and preparation. I searched high and low to find information during my withdrawal, and it wasn't easy to find. But as I collected what eventually became boxes upon boxes of research, I decided to write a book about what I learned, and thus Benzofree was born. By the time I finished writing that first draft of the book, I'd spent four years reading and cataloging over a thousand separate articles and scientific studies. On August 20th, 2018, the book was finally published on Amazon. Yay! (laughs) It's slowly finding its audience and garnering some very positive feedback. But I'll admit, marketing this book, getting the word out about the book, has been an uphill climb. On September 1st of 2018, I launched the companion website, benzofree.org. It's an online resource for people struggling with benzos and for the people who care for them. And I really hope that it helps the people going through this process. And then, February 2019, the final piece of the puzzle was ready to go, which brings us to why we are here today. Welcome to the Benzofree Podcast, your home for an honest, straightforward, and personal discussion about anti-anxiety drugs, their effects, and how to deal with dependence and withdrawal. Whether you have taken benzodiazepines, Z-drugs, or any other tranquilizers, know someone who has, or you just want help dealing with chronic anxiety and insomnia, this is your podcast. I'm your host, D.E. Foster, author of the book, Benzofree, The World of Anti-Anxiety Drugs and the Reality of Withdrawal. I'm so glad you joined us today. Please stick around and let me bend your ear for a few minutes. It just might feel a little better on the other side.
My name is D.E. Foster. People just call me D, just the initial, nothing more. It's, it's a nickname my nephew started many years ago, and it's stuck, I guess. I'm the author of the book Benzo Free, as I mentioned in the lead-in, and the host of this podcast. Welcome. And this is the Benzo Free Podcast, episode one, numero uno, my inaugural episode. This is the one. I hope it's the first of many. Fingers crossed. <laughs> I'll keep doing this as long as I'm able to. I was on clonazepam, which often goes by the brand name Clonopin, for 12 and a half years. I eventually tapered off of it for 16 months, and I'm now four and a half years benzo-free. And that's a pretty cool thing to say. This is episode one of the podcast, and it might be a bit rough. Um, I've never produced nor hosted a podcast before, as you probably can tell. This first episode will involve some explanation and housekeeping, so please bear with me for a bit. I promise I will get better as I go. But you can really help me. I need feedback. I need to know what you think. I need to know the good, the bad, the changes, suggestions. I need to know your story, what you've gone through. I'm looking for your feedback. All you have to do is go to our website at benzofree.org slash feedback and fill out the feedback form or email us at podcast at benzofree.org. I really look forward to hearing from you, so please let me know what you think. The structure of the podcasts, at least initially, will be broken down into four sections. Now, this may change over time, and I hope it does as I get feedback from you, but initially, we're going to start with four sections. And those are the intro, which is where we are now, just an introduction telling you what to expect, what's going on, maybe a little news, who knows what else we're going to fit in there. We'll move on to a Q&A, and this is where I answer questions from you, the listener. Move on from there to our feature topic. We're going to pick one topic to focus on each episode and talk about that in depth. And we'll close out with the Mindful Minute or Moment of Peace. I haven't quite figured out the name I'm going to use for this closing section. I'm sure in later episodes I will, I will solidify that, I promise. But it's basically just a moment, one minute to quiet your mind before you return to the, the chaos of the day. And before I get into the Q&A, I just want to mention one quick thing. Please keep in mind this podcast is for informational purposes only and should never be considered medical advice. I'll have a little lengthier disclaimer at the end of the podcast. And of course, you can view our complete disclaimer at benzofree.org slash disclaimer. Now let's get out of the good stuff. And this is our Q&A section, our question and answer section. So this section will be where I answer questions from you, the listener. Uh, this will be a little difficult up front because I am pre-recording five, six, seven or so episodes of this podcast, so I have plenty to launch with. And that means I don't have any feedback from you yet. You don't even know that the podcast exists at this point, probably. So I'm going to pull some questions that I think you might want to ask, and I'm going to pull some questions probably from the Benzo community and from people I've spoken with. So that's what we're going to do. And our first question is, who am I? I think maybe I should tell you just a little bit about myself up front. I will cover this in more detail in our next episode, which will be my Benzo story. But today I just want to tell you a sentence or two really quickly so you kind of know who I am. I am 53 years old. I live in the state of Colorado in the U.S. of A. I have had two main careers in my life. Um, I did database programming for several large corporations, and I also work in the film industry as a screenwriter, um, instructor, and um, organizer. In my free time, I like to read, walk, watch movies, listen to music, go to the mountains and travel, you know, the usual stuff. Nothing too out of the ordinary, kind of an average Joe, and you know, I'm okay with that. That's just who I am. 
Question two is, do you support the Ashton Manual? Now, this is a great question and one I really wanted to cover in my first episode. The answer to this question is yes, definitely. For those of you who have not heard of it, the Ashton Manual is often thought of as the, the Bible of benzo withdrawal. It's almost universally accepted as the standard guide for withdrawal within the benzo community. Here's a few quick facts so you kind of know what I'm talking about. First of all, the official title of the document is actually Benzodiazepines, How They Work and How to Withdraw, and it's available for free online. Professor Ashton, now retired, was a doctor of medicine in the UK and was a fellow at the Royal College of Physicians in London. She ran a clinic dedicated to benzo withdrawal for over 12 years. She worked with hundreds of patients going through this. And the Ashton Manual is her guide to those suffering from benzo dependence and withdrawal. If you haven't read this, do so. End of story. You can find a link to her manual on our website at benzofree.org Ashton. Please check it out. Question three. There's a lot of false media and misinformation out there about everything, especially benzos, recovery, and addiction. How can you expect us to trust you? I don't. I, I really don't. Trusting me is up to you, honestly. If I was in your shoes, I'd be very skeptical of me. Who is this guy? And how arrogant I must be to think that I can write a book and host a podcast on this stuff. I, I have no medical experience. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not a psychiatrist. I have no professional medical training at all. I'm just a guy who went through benzo withdrawal. And I had all this research that I did during that time, and I wrote a book about it. That's really who I am. All I could do is tell you my thoughts. All I can do is tell you what I'm going to try to do here. And that is, I promise I will try to be as objective and honest as I can throughout this entire podcast. That's all I could do. And that includes being honest and objective about myself and about the research I've uncovered. There are a lot of opinions out there in the benzo community. And a lot of these conflict, and it's really hard to know what is truth, and it's really hard to find out what really is important, what really is going to help. And like I said, I'm not giving advice, but I can tell you what worked for me, and I can share with you things I've uncovered. Just remember two key things as you listen to the podcast. One, this is all my opinion. Any podcast or book is the host's opinion. It's a fact. That's just the truth. If you are gathering info because you find yourself dependent on benzos, get info from multiple sources. Don't just trust my podcast as your sole source. Please don't do that. Read the Ashton Manual. Go online and work with people on some of the benzo recovery boards. And talk to your doctor. Definitely do not try withdrawal without working with your doctor. And the second thing to remember is that everyone is different. No statement has held more true through benzo withdrawal than this one. Everybody's experience is different. So please, when you read a story online or talk to somebody who tells you about their experience, know that this is not going to be you. You might go through a few things that are similar, but your experience is going to be different. And most of the time, it's going to be easier than a lot of the things you read. Please don't let the panic or the fear overtake you. This is a manageable thing and you can get through it. So determine what is right for you, get information from multiple sources, and use your God-given common sense to decide what is true. Trust yourself. 
And that closes out our Q&A section. I hope that was um, informative. I hope I gave you a couple of things to think about. Maybe. We'll see. I can't wait to hear your feedback on it. Let's move on to our feature. Today's feature is going to be an introduction to benzos. This will be really high level. We're not going to get into a lot of depth on this one. That's what coming episodes are for. We have plenty of time to talk on these different subjects and drill down on them. But today we're going to keep this really superficial since it is the first episode. The term benzos is actually short for benzodiazepine. It's a class of psychoactive prescription drugs that were developed in the 1960s. Yes, all the way back in the 1960s, these drugs were first created. They also go by the name anti-anxiety drugs, sleeping pills, minor tranquilizers, sedatives. These drugs were developed to combat a variety of issues, including panic attacks, anxiety, insomnia, muscle spasms, and seizures. Non-benzodiazepines came along a couple decades later, but as I mentioned before, when I refer to benzos, I'm usually talking about both. Some of you may have seen the term BZD and are curious, is that the same thing as benzos? And yes, BZD is actually short for benzodiazepines, and it's commonly used in medical literature and studies. So if you see that term, you know what it means. There are over 40 separate benzo drugs out there, and even more when you consider all the variety of brand names. This is too long a list for me to say here. If you really want to know if your drug is a benzo, please go to our website at benzofree.org. Scroll down to the Is Your Drug a Benzo link and click on that, and you'll see a complete list of almost all the drugs that are in benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, and theanodiazepine classes. So check that out. But for today's episode, I would like to just briefly mention some of the more common, both generic names and brand names of these drugs. Let's start out with benzodiazepines. For benzodiazepines, the most common, starting with the most popular, are alprazolam, Xanax, lorazepam, Ativan, clonazepam, clonopin, diazepam, Valium, and temazepam, Restoril. Other common ones in this class include chlorodiazepoxide, Librium, clorazepate, Tranxine, Estazolam, Prosam, and Triazolam, Halcyon. In the non-benzodiazepine class, or Z-drug class, we have Ezopiclone, Lunesta, Zaloplon, Sonata, Zolpidem, Ambien, and Zopiclone, Zimovane. And if you're curious on the theanodiazepine side, please just check out the website and see if your drug is listed there. Let's back up a little bit and talk about the history of benzos, just briefly. I don't want to go into a lot of detail here. If you want a lot more detail on this, please check out the book. I actually dedicate an entire chapter to the history of benzos, where they came from, how they got developed, how everything happened. But, but for today, let's just talk about some very high-level information. On February 24, 1960, the FDA in the U.S. approved the drug chlorodiazepoxide, and they marketed it by the name Librium. This was the first benzodiazepine. Librium was considered safer than barbiturates since there were fewer side effects and fewer deaths from overdose. When Librium hit the market, it quickly outsold barbiturates and soon became the most prescribed drug in America. It remained that way until 1969 when it was replaced by another, perhaps a better known benzo, diazepam, which was marketed under the brand name Valium. Valium was two and a half times more potent than Librium, and it became the top-selling drug in the U.S. in 1969 and stayed that way for 13 years until 1982. 
In the 1970s, the drug companies encouraged doctors to prescribe benzodiazepines instead of barbiturates through a campaign called Curb. It was so successful that by 1978, Valium became the most commonly prescribed drug in the entire world. In fact, there was even a suggestion that Valium should be added to drinking water, you know, like fluoride. As benzos became increasingly popular, though, a backlash also gained momentum. During my research, I read a really good book on anxiety, on the history of anxiety, and even a personal account of what it's like to deal with anxiety. It is by the author Scott Stossel. The book is titled My Age of Anxiety, and I highly recommend you checking it out if you would like to read more on this subject. In that book, he says, quote, By the middle of the 1970s, the FDA had collected numerous reports of benzodiazepine dependence. Many patients who had been on high doses of Valium or Librium for long periods of time would experience excruciating physical and psychological symptoms when they stopped taking the medication. Anxiety, insomnia, headaches, tremors, blurred vision, ringing in the ears, the feeling that insects were crawling all over them, and extreme depression. And in some cases, seizures, convulsions, hallucinations, and paranoid delusions. End quote. In 1979, as I mentioned in the introduction, U.S. Senator Ted Kennedy led a Senate subcommittee hearing into suspected dangers of benzodiazepines, in which he said, quote, If you require a daily dose of Valium to get you through each day, you are hooked, and you should seek help, end quote. This backlash had started, and drug companies released a new class of drugs for anxiety depression to help provide an alternative. This class of drugs was called SSRIs, and it did quite well. But the backlash didn't last long. In 1981, pharmaceutical manufacturer Upjohn, now part of Pfizer, released Alprazolam, and they marketed under the catchy name of Xanax. While still a benzodiazepine, Xanax represented this new class of benzos that are even more potent than the ones in the 70s. Xanax is 20 times more potent than Valium. By 1986, Xanax had overtaken Milltown, Librium, and Valium to become the best-selling drug in history. And by 2013, prescriptions for benzos in the U.S. climbed to 5.6% of the population. The market demand for general anxiety medications was valued at $3.2 billion in 2014. And it's expected to rise to $3.7 billion by the end of 2020. Benzos are back and with a vengeance. Let's look at some numbers for a minute. According to IMS Health, in 2013, the total number of people in the U.S. taking psychiatric drugs was 79 million. Total number taking antidepressants, 41 million. Taking anti-anxiety drugs, 36 million. ADH drugs, 10 million, and antipsychotics, 7 million. So the total number of people in 2013 taking anti-anxiety drugs was 36 million in the U.S. And it's kind of scary when you see the numbers broken down by age group. The largest number of people taking anti-anxiety medication in the U.S. was from the age range of 45 to 64 years. That number is 14.4 million. The next group is 65 plus years of age, 9.7 million followed by 25 to 44 years of age, 8.9 million. But if you look at some of the smaller numbers, things are pretty scary. 
in the age range of five years old or younger, 727,000 kids take anti-anxiety medication. From the range of 6 to 12 years, 790,000. 13 to 17 years of age, 650,000. These are some pretty scary numbers. In October of 2012, the Times in Britain ran a front-page story titled The Tranquilizer Trap, Scandal of One Million Hooked on Benzodiazepines. The article stated, quote, Doctors are still writing more than 11 million prescriptions a year for benzos, three decades after being encouraged to curtail their use, end quote. So some of you are still probably asking yourself, I, I don't get it. Why is this such a problem? And I hinted at it earlier. I mentioned about the addiction and the dependence issues, but, you know, it's really hard to get that through to people. So let me follow this up with a couple quotes. The first one is from Dr. Alan Francis. He was professor emeritus at Duke University and chairman of the DSM-IV Committee for the American Psychiatric Association. He said, quote, Benzos are very easy to get on, almost impossible to get off. Benzo withdrawal is a beast, often terrifying, sometimes dangerous, and almost always drawn out over a very long period of time, end quote. And the second quote I want to share with you is from Anne Milton. She was public health minister in the United Kingdom. She said, quote, I've met people who've been addicted to benzodiazepines for 20 or 30 years, wrecked their lives, wrecked their jobs, wrecked their families. It's a silent addiction. We all know about illegal drugs. We all know about alcohol. We don't know about this group, end quote. Now, if you are out there dependent on benzos and freaking out, which many of us do, please take a couple deep breaths. And remember, this is manageable. With proper preparation, proper support, benzo withdrawal is manageable if you choose to do that. That is your decision. When I was writing the book and when I was creating this podcast, I came across a common dilemma for me. And that was, how do I raise awareness about this problem? and not scare an already terrified group of people in the process. It's really hard to do, and I'm always walking this fine line of trying to get the word out about how bad this is for so many people, but also to tell people who find themselves dependent on these drugs that, hey, if you do this right, this is manageable. You can withdraw, and you can get benzo-free if you wish to. In the book, I researched several different sources, um, trying to compile some numbers about what are the odds, you know, what are the odds that I will have a difficult withdrawal, or what are the odds that I will have protracted withdrawal, that kind of thing. And I pulled from several sources, compiled them, and came up with these estimates. And this is what I came up with. Only about 45% of people on long-term benzos are going to have a difficult withdrawal. That means that over half of you are not going to have a difficult withdrawal period, even after long-term benzo use. And only about 10 to 15% are going to have protracted withdrawal. And protracted withdrawal means still having symptoms 18 months or longer after your last dose. These are some good numbers. These means that people like me who, who are in protracted withdrawal, or people like me who have had a very difficult withdrawal um, experience, are in the minority. Most people will get through this easier than I did. Now, if you are in the middle of it and having a lot of problems right now, I understand that this falls on deaf ears. I get that. 
And I'm also here to help you. I want to help everybody as much as I can because I know how hard this was. I know how frustrating this was. And I know how hopeless it was at times. But I'm here to tell you it's not hopeless. You can do this. If you choose to withdraw from benzos, talk to your doctor. Get help. Read the Ashton Manual. Figure it out. If you don't want to, that's fine too. This is all up to you. I am not a doctor and I'm not providing advice. I'm telling you what I've been through and that I went through this. I came off them and I'm doing better now. That's all I'm trying to say. And that brings us to our closing. So before we get into our mindful minute or moment of peace or whatever I'm calling the last part of this podcast, I do need to insert our disclaimer really quickly. So give me about 25 seconds and then we'll move on. Here you go. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered medical advice in any way. The host of this podcast is not a medical professional, nor is he engaged in rendering medical health or psychological advice, nor any other kind of personal or professional services. Withdrawal, tapering, or any change in dosage of benzodiazepines, non-benzodiazepines, theanodiazepines, or any other prescription drug should only be done under the direct supervision of a licensed physician. Our full disclaimer can be viewed on our website at benzofree.org disclaimer. And that brings us to our closing, our mindful minute. Basically, this is just one minute of quiet to help calm your mind, to help ease your mind before you return to the chaos of the world around you. The way this will work is I will provide a brief introduction, followed by a soft bell, which starts the minute of meditation, followed by another soft bell for the end of the minute of meditation, and then you can continue meditating if you like. Or you can return to whatever you're doing. I found meditation to be very helpful for me during my, my experience with benzo withdrawal. That may not be the case for everyone. I'm just putting these at the end in case you would like to try it. If you're not interested, that's fine. Just skip the last section of each podcast. No problem. But if you'd like to try this out, please stick with me for a minute. Today we're going to do just a simple standard breathing meditation. Now, of course, if you're driving or operating heavy machinery or in any place that's not safe to do meditation, please do not do this right now. Do it at another time or skip over it, whatever you choose. But if you are in a safe space, close your eyes. Take a slow breath in, filling your lungs. Pause for a second. And then let it all out slowly. Do this again. Breathe in. Pause for a second. And breathe out. And as you exhale, release all the stress of your day. Let's do this one more time. Breathe in slowly. Pause for a second. And then breathe out, releasing all the stress bottled up inside of you. Now just breathe normally, nice and easy. And as you do, focus on your breathing, just the sensation of it. And if your mind wanders, don't worry. Just gently bring your focus back to your breathing. This may happen multiple times during your meditation. Don't judge yourself. Just each time it happens, gently bring it back.
to focus on your breathing. And we'll continue this for one minute. Thank you for joining me today. I'd like to leave you with just a few words to think about, and they are this. Be kind to yourself, to those you love, to everyone. Have a good day.